A quick thanks before we start the show. Filmmaking Confidential, the book, is getting rave reviews from readers, filmmakers, film professors, and even people in creative fields other than filmmaking. I just want to say thank you to all of you who ordered it and for your support. If you haven't yet picked it up and you want to learn my filmmaking secrets, Filmmaking Confidential is for you. It's available wherever books are sold in most countries around the world. Order by visiting Audible or Amazon. To find out more, check out filmmakingconfidential.com and stevebalderson.com. Thank you. I'm Steve Balderson, and you're listening to the Filmmaking Confidential podcast. Each week, we meet with filmmakers, writers, actors, artists, and other notables. Many episodes include questions or commentary from other filmmakers listening to the conversation. Today's guest is Rebecca Breithaupt, social producer, Amazon Studios. The word producer is misused and overused, making it nearly impossible to tell what it means anymore. We discuss the different kinds of producers, along with the notion that to be a good producer is also to be a sort of on-set therapist. Here's my conversation with Rebecca Breithaupt. What I do as an advertising producer is slightly different from what I do as a documentary film producer, but they all kind of go back to the same skill set, right? Um, I think the, I was thinking about this today, I think the easiest way to describe what I do is I, I manage the project. In terms of, you know, my day-to-day job as an advertising producer, I'm overseeing the project from start to finish. While I don't do the creative, I work with the creative team to get them everything they need. I work on the budget, I do the schedule, uh, sourcing crew, location, whatever it needs, and helping them achieve their creative vision. And I see that through on into editorial and finishing and delivery. Which is similar to what you would do if you were a producer on a movie or a project of some other sort. I've found that in my side projects as a working in the film space, I tend to be a little more involved with the creative, but that's personal preference, I think. And just like the nature of that form of the business. So it does kind it's very similar from job to job, but it is a little nuanced depending on what producer hat I'm wearing. So advertising producer versus film producer versus podcast producer, short film producer, whatever the case may be. And how does that differ from, like how many other kinds of producers in, in when you're working on things, whether it be documentaries or podcast or advertising, that you would have like a line producer and an executive yeah. producer, those kinds? So again, it, it depends on the project. So when I'm doing uh, commercials, I'm the senior producer which can dabble into line producing, on-set producer, editorial and post-producer, you know, finishing delivering producer. But in terms of the film world, there's, I think one of the misconceptions is there's a bunch of different types of producers, right? And it's not even so much that they're doing different things, they're just at different levels. So you have associate producer, you have a producer, you have a co-producer, you have an executive producer, And it kind of just depends on what I've been asked to do uh, and my level of involvement in terms of 
what that looks like on other projects. So for instance, I'm working on a documentary film. I have been for the last six years. And on that, I'm a producer. So there are other producers on my team and we share the same title and we're all doing the same workload, but it's just producer. On previous projects, I, I've come on as um, associate producer. And that was like kind of a starting level. You know, I'm, I'm helping the film out, but I'm not the le- a lead producer or I'm not an executive producer. I'm not contributing to finance. And again, it's, it's nuanced. Like if we were talking about television, an executive producer could be show running it. An executive producer could just be on the studio level that's, you know, writing the checks. It, it just depends. Help me understand the hierarchy. Who answers to who if you're one of these producers? <laughs> Who's in charge? Who's in charge? <laughs> that's what I want to know. I would say executive producer are usually in charge. Um, if they're, they're writing in charge, if they're writing the checks. But... Um, it could also be the line producer because they're tell- they're making the budget. They're telling you what you're spending your money on. It could just be a producer. It's it's funny because it's the the titles do obviously mean something as titles mean something. But I would say that's like the basic hierarchy, and then you kind of you go down from there. Co-producer, associate producer, may or may not actually have done anything. It's true. That is true. Um, I think it it depends on the job and the person. It is, it's kind of been like a running industry joke that you might give an associate producer credit to like your assistant, you know, but at the same time, I've worked with plenty of associate producers and I've been an associate producer. It's all about um, what you're contributing to the project. It doesn't necessarily dictate your involvement. That's why I'm like, it's nuanced, I guess, but. Right. I mean, the only times that I've ever worked as a director for a producer, I just made sure that I knew who I needed to answer to. Mm -hmm. And and then beyond that, I didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And sometimes that's really fuzzy and you don't really know, you know, I mean, am I answering right? You know, I mean, if I'm, you know, answering to this producer, but then that producer is answering to somebody else and that person wants to do something differently that may or may not be what I want to do at all, I still just have to focus on what the producer is telling me. For sure. And, you know, that that chain of command is put into place. So as a director, you don't have a bunch of people running to your ear saying, do this, do this, do this. So even if the message is coming from the executive producer or in the advertising world, maybe the client or the creative director or the executive creative director, it's funneled through the producer that's under them, so to speak. I, I think when, in terms of like the creative relationship, I think that's interesting, t- an interesting dynamic too, because for me, like I think of directors and the creative directors as like, they're my partners, you know, there's not, there's not a hierarchy there. Sure. There is on the like producerial side. Like I manage up to my boss and client and et cetera. But uh, you know, in my advertising world, when I'm working on a project, I'm partnering with a creative director to help make their vision happen. So I think of it less as like, I, someone is someone's boss and more we're, we're peers. And of course, together, okay. we have bosses <laughs> that we answer to. And 
and and a, a client, of course, but it's a it's a peer working relationship. Do you both speak to the clients, or does your boss speak to them? Um, in in my case, I speak with the client. Uh, of course, creatives will as well, but I. Uh, the way things are set up, I tend to be the voice to the, the client. And then um, by that extension, the voice of the client, especially when we're on set. So when we're on set sh- shooting a commercial, we have a video village set up, as you all know. And if there's notes on the action that's happening or the takes, the client's going to give me that information. I'm going to pass that on to the assistant director. In some cases, the director or the creative director. It just helps streamline the information to make sure that both visions are being met. So it's almost like a translator. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Um, So have you ever had an experience where it just, they just weren't like the, the client wanted one thing and the creative team wanted something else and it just wasn't happening. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think the job of a producer on set is to, is to make everyone happy. So you have to try and find that common ground. And at the end of the day, depending on the shoot, your, your client's voice needs to be heard above all. It's their product, it's their brand, it's their, it's, they're paying for it, you know? But I think that there's, there's ways to find middle ground. But yeah, absolutely. Everyone has, you know, I think one of the, the strongest suits of a producer is being able to work with any a variety of personalities because everyone that you come into contact is going to want things a different way. I mean, producers are the same way. I like to do things a certain way uh, as far as my managerial style goes, my organization style. And, you know, in terms of creatives and clients, they're just human. So you have to talk you, you know, everyone's going to be worked with in their own way that best suits them. Um, yeah. As, as a producer on set, sometimes you're a therapist uh, for the creative, um, you're obviously a friend of the client and, and respecting that relationship and making sure that their needs are being met. Um, and you're a problem solver, you're a fixer. There's, I think what I love about producing is the variety and that there's, as a producer, I feel that I need to be able to do anything. So if a problem comes to me, whether or not I can actually f- physically fix it, I am the person that's going to find the way to fix it. So if that means I go to X in the props department or in hair and makeup, or I, you know, speak with the director or the creative director, you're going to be the source of of how to solve that and bring the people together. That's another main part of my job is bringing the right team and uh, whether that's a group of creatives or, you know, crew uh, bringing everyone together to make sure you're ultimately making the best product and, and creating, helping create that vision that you either developed over time with your director writer team, or that you're, uh, you sold to your client and that your client wants to best suit their brand and uh, their product. So it takes a certain type of personality to do all that. I mean, I think you're, I know you, so I know that you're great at that. Um, but what kind of advice would you give to somebody who, let's say, was going into the field that they might need to know about uh, just engaging how their personality ought to be, or maybe some things they should work on and just know that they're either good at or not good at if they intend to be a producer? 
I think it's all about being flexible, you know? Um, of course I say I have ways that I like to do things and that's true of anyone in any career, right? Um, and anything that you do, but you have to have a flexibility because things change all the time on set and even leading up to, to shoots and then creative and, and then on into the editorial uh, process, you know, you have a set vision and you want to achieve that ultimately, but that doesn't mean that things won't ebb and flow getting there or directions can pivot. So I think having a sense of flexibility and understanding that like, <laughs> just trying to be even keel, which inwardly, I might be a ball of rage and or tears, but outwardly, I'm, you know, I got to, you got to keep it together because when things screw up, like in any, um, Oh, give us an example. Give us an example, like a crazy one. Oh, I have to think about it. I <laughs> give me a minute on that. We'll come back to that. Okay. When, you know, when uh, a client's not happy or someone's late to set or whatever, you know, or you're, you're running way over time. I could probably speak to that. That's happened a lot. Uh, especially speaking from someone who like is trying to watch the budget and the schedule and knows that the crew needs to stop at a certain time or you're going to go into overages or people are going to walk. Um, you know, I was working on a, a project in London and crews, you know, all over the world just do things differently. Their, their days are longer or shorter depending on where you're working regardless of, of unions. It's just people have different structures uh, in their industries. And we were filming in a, a rural area in, um, in England and just outside of London. And our day was so ambitious. And we said that from the start. This is, this is too much. There's no way we can do this. But you know what? We had to get it. And we had flown there to get it. And we were going to get it. Daylight be damned. And towards the end of the night, it was definitely some conversations of your crew is going to walk off set if we don't wrap this up soon. And that's understandable. It was a long, I think it was like, a, you know, in the States, I feel like I'll say like, oh, it was a 14 hour day. And it's like, oh, short day on set. But, you know, different places do things differently. And that was a really long day. I felt it too. And it was, uh, you know, it was a matter of producers going around and, and hearing uh, the grievances of the crew, understanding, being very respectful and trying to come to a compromise in the moment to be like, okay, one more hour, two more hours. Because, you know, as we, as we know, when you finish on set, when you wrap for the night, you're not done. If you're in the crew, you don't get to just like and go away. They still had to pack off all their gear and drive back to uh, wherever they were from. In this case, it was, you know, a couple hours or more. So I realized that wasn't probably as salacious as you wanted to hear, <laughs> but that, <laughs> but you know, I still have to, I have to represent some uh, confidentiality, but uh, it, oh, of it, course, was, of course. it was crazy. Like it, it was, it was very stressful and a very long day for a crew that worked their butts off and did an amazing job. But those are the kind of things that when that stuff starts to go down and people are going to start looking at you, including your client, Hey, uh, I'm hearing rumblings. You got to be, you got to keep the ship just like steady even though inside i was like oh my god <laughs> we're going to lose our crew producer rebecca brightopt
Another great filmmaking confidential guest is Elizabeth Spear. And I, and I had a, a particularly difficult year personally, the same year that I had four film shoots scheduled. And so I had to I had to go from set to set to set and just completely compartmentalize, put the other on hold. It was uh, kind of insane that I mostly successfully did that. You can hear my full interview with Elizabeth at filmmakingconfidential.com or by subscribing for free to this podcast. When we come back, Rebecca will share more about what it takes to be a good producer and will answer more questions from the audience listening in to our conversation right after this. I'm Steve Balderson, and this is the Filmmaking Confidential Podcast. I'm back with producer Rebecca Breithaupt. You know, as far as being like more producer-led, I, I don't mean to, to confuse that. When I say like a, the producer in the case of like the advertising world is like overseeing it from start to finish, it's less about dictating um, any sort of creative or the outcome. It's more about knowing the project from start to finish. Um, in terms of budget, in terms of you do know the creative, you do know the goal, you know the client, you know the brand, and you know what they're looking to accomplish. In the same way that a creative person does, but my involvement allows the creative to focus on creative and take away the logistical things and budgetorial things that can come into play so it doesn't distract from pull their focus, if that makes sense. Would you also say that um, sometimes, you know, the people that come in and out of a project might happen quite frequently, but you're the one that remains the whole time? Consistent. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we, we've definitely um, worked on projects where we might, well, most certainly where if it's a bigger shoot, we bring in a director just to direct the shoot, but they don't necessarily go into editorial. Like they're there to, function as you would expect uh, Steve or a, a, any director to work they're on set and maybe they're they come on board you know a week before the production and they work you know just the production days and then they're done and they of course are welcome to give input on the edit and everything but a lot of times they're there just for that element but I'm going to be on it throughout the rest of the project to maintain that consistency is the creative director or the creative team also there the whole time or do they just kind of leave at one point or come in at one point usually in my experience they're involved the whole time um you know from briefing and pitching and writing through production and through editorial because much like i maintain a consistency at like a high level and you know um schedule and and budget and all the make sure everything gets delivered on a certain time is exactly what it needs to be delivered specs, etc. They're maintaining that creative consistency throughout. So yes, they, they're generally from start to finish. And then once we're, you know, literally down to, okay, here's the video QC it. Okay, great. Now the creative can go off and do another project as a producer. I'm going to hand it over the finish line, but yeah, it's, it's so, so important to have that consistency. Cool. Um, <clears throat> okay, so I know that uh, you have worked on some projects that are, have incredible amounts of money mm -hmm. and projects that have nothing. Yes. So in, in this full spectrum of having no budget, 
to almost endless resources. Mm-hmm. Have you found a big difference in the basic principles of producing? No. <laughs> and the problems are going to be the same. I mean, money does help, obviously, but it also complicates things. <laughs> you know, when you're doing a, a small project and I'm uh, having worked with you before and, and just knowing you personally, like I'm such a fan of what you do, you know, I know you have investors and, and you make things happen that way, but so often you're kind of just doing your own thing and making it happen. And you know that there's that difference in that sort of creative freedom um, versus if you have a bigger budget, obviously there's more understandably people, brands, things to, to adhere to investors um, who then, you know, with, with the money comes power. They, as you mentioned, the, you know, uh, you've had executive producers that were like, I paid for this. This is what's going to happen. Um, but like the principles, they're all the same. I mean, and I think that knowing that and knowing that I do for myself personally, I'm speaking to like my own journey, knowing that I have produced those bigger budget you know, things, um, and, and done things with friends for zero money. I always like lean into that. It it gives me a sense of confidence because it is going to be the same thing. Usually every single time it's just problems in different clothes. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. You're going to have the same conversation. Sure. There's nuances of like, if I'm making a, a documentary, the, the process getting from beginning to and is different than if I'm making a commercial, but you're, you're looking to do the same things. You're, you're talking to the same types of people. Um, and you can always lean into that, which I, that's something I love about producing. Cool. Well, and I, I was also going to say, you know, I mean, have you found that sometimes having the money and the extra resources, um, Sometimes doesn't, it, well, it helps. I mean, sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. It, you, the idea that you have to have it isn't necessarily the case, is what I'm, I'm asking. Is, is the mis- con- misunderstanding like, well, the more money I have, the better it is. The more money I have, the easier it is. The more money I have, you know, solves all the problems. And, oh, if I only had $10 million, I could make this movie really well. Um, and I just don't think that's true. Do you? I think in the film world, that's not true at all. And the advertising world is a different beast. A budget helps. It just does. Um, but in the film world, I mean, you, you've proved it 17 times. <laughs> like you don't, there's so much that can be accomplished um, just from hard work and gumption. And I know that sounds a little naive, but it's kind of true. Yes, you need to build your network. Yes, you need to have people that believe in you and want to help you and volunteer their time. And that takes time to get there. Um, well, and I say, you know, even if I'm sitting here with a million dollars cash, mm-hmm. I still have the mindset to try to get the hotel to donate rooms. Yes. <laughs> you know, like I don't really want to uh, spend the money on. You're a natural born producer, Steve. <laughs> yeah, like I. I would rather get as much sponsor, you know, as much donated, as much deals, as as much discount as I can, because then I, I'm sitting on some extra cash that I could apply other, other places. Well, put it on the screen more than anything, right? Um, right? That's the bottom line. Like, how do you put all of that money on the screen? And what can you do as a producer in this case 
um, to ensure that as much money as possible is going towards the, the product, which is why we're all here, you know? Right. Um, my other sort of uh, question for you is what led you to do what you do? Like your sort of your life timeline. Like, did you think that you wanted to be a producer one day? Yes. Um, I decided at 13 that I wanted to be a producer. Did not know what that meant. I just was like, this is what I want to do. And I've just kind of, I've just stuck to that. I, it, was, it was a lot of figuring out what exactly that meant. But as a kid growing up who did theater and loved film and made little films and all that stuff, like, you know, starting at a pretty young age on up until like high school and then eventually studying film in, in college. It's just, I loved certain elements of it and have such a respect for the different elements, but I never wanted to be an actor. I would dabble with directing, but it's still, it's not what I want to do. I'm not a writer. I'll say that, not a writer. <laughs> um, and yeah, just the more I actually focused in on what being a producer meant to me and got the experiences um, from a lot of different viewpoints. You know, I, when we first met, I was a PA working in the grip department on Firecracker. And for, you know, a minute I was like, do I want to be a grip? And I'm like, no, you want to be a producer. But <laughs> I found these, you know, all these little experiences. It was like getting my, um, general studies degree. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's so important as a producer to know what everyone does on set and, and, and not just, okay, I know what the makeup person does, but like have like some experience and some really understanding because when you go back to what we talked about earlier, where you're dealing with so many different personalities and it is your job to make everyone happy and bring people together. Like it so helps to have that point of view, having worked in a grip department, having been, a PA doing whatever was necessary. And I always encourage people that are um, just getting started to go that route. Like don't say no to anything, learn every aspect of it. But that's a long winded way of saying, yes, I've always wanted to be a producer. I've tried different things. Um, to me, I, I love creative, but I also, the, there's creativity to me in logistics and planning and budgets and schedules and bringing people together and I just know like personally I am really good at meeting people and bringing people together I actually think it's one of my strongest skills uh so yeah I just always knew cool well and I I love what you said about um really having the the knowledge of each department and each job sort of so that when you are on your 14-hour day in London you know exactly how they feel because you have been there. Yeah. <clears throat> in Kansas, in like hot weather with Steve. <laughs> I know what it's like. Right. Um, what is the uh, strangest, farthest travel job that was just sort of, and was it planned or was it you got to be there in two days? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it was strange. But the farthest I've traveled, um, about a year ago, uh, I worked on something that shot in India for, um, it shot for one day there, and we spent about three days there. Um, and it was, a, it was a really 
pretty, you know, it was a big production in that we shot in three locations over 10 days around the world. So we started by, and we had, I, th- I want to say we had about a month from like briefing, creative concepting, uh, prep, and then actual execution. And then we came back and we had maybe about a month for editorial. So pretty fast turn, but that's not, that's pretty commonplace. And like, this was for a, a commercial shoot. Um, so that's nothing unusual, but um, it was pretty run and gun. And literally we got on a plane to go to India. We knew where we were filming in India. Our team on the ground in California was figuring out where we were going to film in London, which is where we were going next and where we were going to going to film in California when we got back because our various locations had fallen through and uh, you know, traveling 20 hours, getting sick on a plane as I always do with like a, a cold cause you're sitting on a plane for 20 hours. Um, arriving in, India like out of my mind because I hadn't slept and watched like you know 10 movies on a plane um but it was the most incredible experience I've had so far as far as filming goes like to film like it's a gift to film anywhere period but to be able to go to different countries and and in situations so unlike what you're used to and see how other crews work and other people work and meet people and just have that life experience was amazing. It's something I'll never forget, but it was insane. <laughs> so we were in India for about three days and then we jumped on a plane, went to England, shot there for a day. Um, you know, meanwhile, we're like getting there, taking phone calls with our partners in the States, trying to figure out what we're filming as soon as we get back. Um, and this was all towards like the end of the year, uh, and, uh, filmed in England, got back on a plane, was literally landed in LA and went home, went to bed, woke up the next morning at 5am. Thankfully my crew sent me a car cause I was delirious, took me to set in like Chino, we filmed and then I was like, we're done. <laughs> it was, it was incredible though. It was amazing. Was there any interesting sort of um, thing or part of a foreign crew that surprised you as being very, very different that we typically don't have in U.S. crews, whether it be commercial or film? For sure. Uh, like, England feels very similar to the States. Like, uh, crews work different hours, but similar vibes. And, and much like you can usually identify who's who on set, it's pretty easy to do. Um, in England, but filming in India, there was a lot of people just hanging around. And I didn't always know who was part of the crew and who wasn't. Cause you know, you go on a film set in, in Los Angeles, for example, the grips are gonna be dressed like grips. So what's that mean? They're probably gonna have a tool belt, uh, t-shirt, shorts, whatever. Uh, the producer might be dressed like in a polo or something. The director has a ball cap on, you know, it's true. All directors wear ball caps, except for maybe you. But uh, you can usually- I'm, I'm, I'm the only director without a ball cap and black rimmed or framed glasses. It's true. You are you're unusual. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just, I remember being on set and 
well, even just going on our scout, because we went to scout as soon as we got there. And, you know, it's, um, we were, we were insulated a little bit. We had like our fixer and our drivers taking us around because we didn't know we were shooting in New Delhi and we didn't know the area. And some parts, just like any country, can be unsafe. But so we're walking around some of these areas and I, my mind's blown. I'm like, there's cows everywhere. It's so cool. I want to touch everything. And they're like, don't touch anything. But I'm like, I want to pet all the animals. Don't do that. Um, and I was literally <laughs> looking around and I didn't know who my crew was. Like I knew who my people were that I was there with, but you know, you show up to a scout and so, and you have your, you might have your set PA, you're going to have your grip team, you're going to have your assistant director is we're all there to scout. And I was like, I don't know who anyone is. And, and that was the difference. Like, because, you know, even when we were filming actually on the day, there were a lot of people just hanging out, like kind of looky loose and you get that anywhere, but I just, yeah, that was probably the biggest difference to me. I was like, I don't know who anyone is. And I don't want to ask anyone for anything. So I'm just I always to- look at the, I always get the looky loose to either start helping out. Yeah. Or, or, okay, you all are going to be extras. Just go over there. And just, you know, like you just, you just use them. It's true. But I was like, I don't, I don't know the culture completely. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't know if these people are just hanging out because they want to watch the film shoot. So I was just like, okay. But everyone was super, super friendly and nice. So but that was the biggest difference. I didn't always know who anyone was outside of my little circle. <laughs> I had a question, Steve. Uh, yeah. For Rebecca, uh, what's the difference like between a, a line producer versus the other, you know, executive producer? producer? Sure. So it it can vary, of course, as they all can, depending on the actual industry that you're in. But a uh, line producer tends to do the budget and uh, help source the crew. Um, they, you know, line producers I've worked with also would help us find locations and um, sometimes with casting. I mean, they're, they're even more logistical based, I would say, than the stuff that I do as far as owning the budget. But not all shoots get a line producer. So typically, in my day-to-day job, when we have a line producer, it's a way bigger production. Um, and I will build out a budget for the creative side as far as um, the creative director's time, if there's copywriters, the editorial staff, the producer, producer staff on the agency side. And then the line producer will come in, in that case, and budget out locations, actual crew, uh, they might do the the casting costs, um, and they roll that into a separate budget. So it's a lot of budget. <laughs> and uh, sometimes, in in sometimes as I've experienced it, 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 I've had a few line producers on movies, mm-hmm. um, but some of them have all often been uh, sort of production managers yeah, or production like supervisors. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Who who do the same thing, and they could quite well take the credit line producer, but they uh, took the credit production manager or tends to be a little more focused on the physical production than like the holistic whole part of the production, like more laser focused on the, the product, the physical production, I would say like the shoot. Um, what would you say the general manager of a restaurant is? Are they a producer or are they sort of like a wine producer? I like to make everything about food at the end. I think they're a producer. Um, but 
you know, while I don't, why don't identify as a line producer? Um, there are times when I'm functioning as a line producer. Does that make sense? Like yeah. if, if I don't have, um, for example, a lot of times we'll do projects that are based on an existing video game. Uh, so we need to do game capture. Uh, we need to do editorial. We do need to do a creative component, obviously, to enable to do all those other things I just said. But there's not a live action shoot. Um, so we're not going to bring in a, a line producer to budget that. I'm going to budget that. So in that case, I'm, I'm functioning as a line producer, you know, in a way. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, Kim, did that make sense for you? Yeah, yeah, it did. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Um, okay, I would love to just take any question anybody has for Rebecca here in the last yeah. bit. Rebecca, uh, do you run into a situation where their desire is bigger than their budget and have to deal with that? Every day. Okay. <laughs> so how do, how do you address that diplomatically? Because it seems like a lot of times you go, you know, I, I really want the Titanic and you can handle a tugboat maybe. So how do you deal with that with a client? You know, it's, it's hard. Uh, a lot of times too, um, we're dealing more with the uh, creative to, to manage that expectation. Um, and then we're able to present it to the client and hopefully get them excited too. But I think, you know, you just got to think of it and it's hard. I, I'm going to make this sound like it's easy. It's not easy. It's one of the hardest things I do. I think you just have to really think about it like a partnership and how do we, best realize their vision so is that i'm calling hopefully not but maybe i'm calling in some favors to see if we can get the the art direction at a certain you know price point or sometimes you just have to draw the line in the sand i mean i joke about it all the time on calls but i'm like i will say okay i'm sorry i have to be the bad cop i have to put on my producer hat i want you to have this but we really just can't afford it and right. sometimes you just have to be honest, but it is my job to do everything possible to try and realize that vision. And sometimes you do run into roadblocks as creative as you can be with money. Well, and I found sometimes, you know, you can, on, on one day, you might go out back and you get the Titanic for nothing, you know, yep. and you're like, what do I use this? You know, how do I take advantage of this? And then, you know, next week you try to get the tugboat and you can't get it. You know, it's like. And the doors are all closed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You just take it case by case. It is, it is something I deal with constantly, though. And I totally get it. Like, we always want the best. That's human nature. And especially when it's your creative. Like, how could you ever... You gotta, I guess you got to think of it in terms of, like, it's not making it less. It's just trying to figure out how to make it work, you know? Because we all want the, the best thing. Well, and that's, I think, a really fun, challenging part is, Absolutely. okay, you know, we can't afford to do this but how are all the other ways we could approach the same thing and and share the same thing in a, in a similar way that we can't afford you know i can't get you the taj mahal but i can get you this location and let's talk about how we can make this work and how it can still realize your vision right that's cool um rebecca thank you for talking with us today and for being here and uh we hope to see you again soon me too. Thanks so much. <laughs> where, where can people find out more about you if they're interested? Um, 
That's a good question. Well, one of my projects um, that I'm very proud of is a, um, my podcast that I mentioned, and it's called Straight White Guy Listening. And you can go to swlistening.com to hear episodes. We're also on anywhere that you find podcasts. Big fan of that. Um, and you can find me on Instagram. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll look for the podcast. It's a fantastic podcast. So I strongly encourage everybody to check but, it out. Another thing I, I, can't, I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up. Um, Dark Side of the Mountain is the documentary film I've been working on for the last six years with an amazing group of creatives. Um, it's from director Eric Walter, who did Miamiville Horror, which was actually the first documentary film I worked on. Um, check us out. DarksideDoc.com. Hopefully that'll be out this year. Producer, Rebecca Breithaupt. Tune in next time for more Filmmaking Confidential. It is totally free to subscribe. And when you subscribe, you'll get upcoming new episodes automatically. And you'll have free access to all our past shows. The Filmmaking Confidential podcast is a production of Dekanga Audio and produced by myself and Ella Spencer. Our theme music is composed by Kevin Robles. For more of the Filmmaking Confidential podcast, head over to filmmakingconfidential.com. If you have a question about filmmaking you'd like answered on the podcast, send me an email using the contact form on the website. To learn more of my filmmaking secrets, be sure to pick up a copy of the book, Filmmaking Confidential, available on Audible, paperback, and ebook, wherever books are sold. I'm Steve Balderson. Thanks for listening and spreading the word. Until next time, keep making, keep doing, keep going.